welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Shane and Shello and Nadine and Michael for filling in and leading us in music this morning uh, as we go through the church family by family and ask you to lead music. Uh, your your name will be coming up, so get you something prepared. No, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. I want you to come back to Christ Church. So the uh, the scripture we heard in Paul's letter to the Galatians this morning, the epistle lesson this morning is a section of a letter to that Galatian church. Uh, the reason or the occasion for Paul writing to the Galatians in the very first place is that some uh, teachers, probably those who claimed to be sent from James, James in Jerusalem, that leader, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, had arrived in Galatia and they had begun teaching that in order for a man or a woman to be saved, he or she must first submit to the law of Moses, and then they could follow Jesus. So Moses first, then Jesus. And if you were a male, that meant undergoing circumcision before you could become a follower of Jesus Christ. So their gospel, these teachers' gospel that Paul is is reacting against, and by the way, Paul says it's not really a gospel at all, it's not really good news at all, Their gospel taught that salvation came through submitting to the Jewish law first, and then you could follow Jesus. In other words, it's law plus Jesus. But Paul is adamant that salvation comes as grace alone, as a gift, a free gift of God's grace alone through Jesus Christ, not by following the law. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. In other words, I don't put aside God's grace in order to establish a law or to return to the law. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, he comes right to the point, Christ died for nothing. So let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that means this. If we think we have to do something to add to the finished work of Christ on the cross, if we think now it's up to me to do good works in order to earn God's favor, what we're really saying is Jesus was an idiot for getting himself crucified. And that's what Paul, that's the kind of intensity and clarity Paul brings to this this really kind of feisty letter that he's written to the Galatians. The entire book of Galatians is Paul's sternest teaching that you cannot earn your salvation by keeping the law, by observing a list of religious do's and don'ts. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, which we heard read this morning, Paul tells us that if that's the case, then Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to give us Freedom, not to shackle us with religious rules and regulations. Now, if we really believe that, and we really do, people will immediately respond, and Paul's detractors immediately responded, uh, is that this kind of freedom would just lend itself 
would lead people to all kinds of just immorality. Well, you're taking the brakes off. If you tell them you can't be, you don't need the law to be saved, then people are just going to go hog wild. That's the worst kind of wild is hog wild. <laughs> so Paul responds that free, the freedom Jesus gives us is free, uh, is as believers is the freedom to genuinely love. And let me show you where that is. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And we're going to talk a lot about the flesh here in a minute, but the, basically the sinful human nature. It's not an excuse for us to indulge our, sin, our sinful nature. But through love, serve one another. So we're called to freedom so that through love, we might serve one another. So it's freedom to genuinely love God and our neighbor. But if we're not bound under the law, if there isn't a legal list of rules to follow, how will we live a life pleasing to God? And this is the question for us to answer this morning. Here's what Paul says. Verse 16, Galatians 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, or you will not indulge the sinful nature. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't do the things that are contrary to God's will. You see, brothers and sisters, there are two forces in, at, at work in the Christian life. Uh, they're always competing. In fact, you would, I would say that they're always at war with each other to dominate. These two forces want to dominate the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. And Paul describes those two forces as, first of all, the flesh, and we'll, we'll have to define that, and then the spirit. So those are the two warring forces, principles in our lives every day that we struggle with as Christians. So what is the flesh? Well, the Greek word there is sarx. We would transliterate it S-A-R-X. And it can literally mean your flesh and bones, you know, skin, muscles, you know, your body. But when the scriptures use it to discuss our spiritual motivations, it means something else entirely. And in fact, the uh, translators of the New International Version instead of saying the flesh, use the phrase, the sinful nature. And I think that's kind of helpful. So the flesh is that principle in every one of us, all right? Every one of us struggles with it. It's that principle that is always seeking to move us away from the love of God and the will of God. From the love of God and the will of God, it comprises those appetites and attitudes and desires and actions, attitudes, appetites, desires, actions that are anti-God in our lives. Paul says in uh, Galatians 5, 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the other force that is in our life as believers, Paul is talking to followers of Jesus, okay? The other force at work in our lives is the Holy Spirit, the spirit. This is literally the living, we've talked about this a couple of times recently, the living presence of God, God himself in my life as a believer. The Holy Spirit is God in you, in us, who causes us to actually desire, to crave fellowship with God. 
before we have the Spirit of God in our life, before we become followers of Jesus Christ, following God is repugnant. It's the last thing we want to do. And when God comes into our life and we're regenerate through the Holy Spirit, by water and the Holy Spirit, we're made new creations. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things are made new. When he makes us new creations, he gives us a desire to fellowship with him. I mean, seriously, uh, it, the last thing I wanted to do as an uh, unbeliever was to go to church. In fact, it's hard for believers to want to go to church sometimes. But I certainly had no, just no craving for fellowship with God or being in worship prior to knowing Christ and being filled with His Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit causes us to, to desire to, God, to do God's will, and He empowers us. He gives us the will and the ability to fulfill the desire to serve God. So even back during the time of the Old Testament, God promised that the, that the day would come when His Spirit would live in His people and cause them to desire to please Him. So Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Great memory verses, by the way. I, I'd say a lot of these verses that we're looking at this morning from scriptures would be good to commit to memory. In this, the prophet Ezekiel writes, uh, speaking as God's prophet, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Wow, that's a great promise. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. And listen to what he says. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That it will be this, the, the, so in other words, the motivation to serve, to honor, to please, and to bless God will not be coming from an exterior list of rules and regulations, uh, full of check boxes that need to be checked off. Instead, it will be the very presence of the living God in the heart of the believer who is moving us to please and love and serve God. And that's a much, much better way to live. What a tremendous promise. That old Pentecostal, Ezekiel, before Pentecost. Yeah, amen. So we can, yes, we can resist the Holy Spirit. We can choose to say no to His promptings and warnings. And in fact, this is what the Scripture is referring to in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where Paul writes this. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you can grieve God, the Holy Spirit? He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Spirit? By not listening to His promptings, by not listening to His warnings. But if we do, and here's the critical point, if we do say no to God's Spirit, at that moment, we're not going to live in a vacuum of spirit. There's no, we're not going to live in a, a spiritual vacuum. Another force, an anti-God force, will dominate our lives, and that is the flesh. We are choosing to be dominated by the flesh. When we're saying no to God's Spirit, we're saying yes to that anti-God motivation that still resides in the human heart. Martin Luther says that, the, uh, that Adam, the old man, was drowned in baptism. 
but he's a mighty good swimmer. And sometimes I feel like he's just, the flesh is just treading water. I need to put his head under, I need to put Adam's head under the water. One of these two principles is going to dominate our existence. As a believer, you, you have the ability, as a believer, you have the ability to choose to live under the direction of the flesh or the spirit. In fact, only believers have that choice. Before we accept Jesus Christ by faith and are born anew by water and the spirit, we live completely under the domination of the sinful nature. So let me direct you to another critical passage as we think about the flesh and the spirit. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. If you want to flip there, go right ahead. Romans 8, 5 through 7. I'm reading at this point from the English Standard Version. Um, so the, or in other words, the J.I. Packer Standard Version of the Bible. He's a key translator. How can I tell? This is so, how can I tell? Well, listen, how can I tell whether I'm under the domination of the flesh or the nature, uh, uh, the flesh, the sinful nature, or the spirit? Well, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh. So we've said, we've said no to the promptings and warnings of the spirit. We can't live in a vacuum, and so what we're doing is we've decided to live according to the flesh at that point. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh... Now, let's stop right here. If, if I was still in the world, I would say to set the mind on the things of the flesh is freedom. I'm not going to have those, I'm not going to have somebody telling me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. But what the Bible says to, is to set the mind on the flesh isn't freedom, it's death. You know how much freedom dead people have? None. They can't do anything. They're not free to do anything except just to lay there being dead. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And, and, and peace, not just in the sense of the absence of discord, but in the sense of life just working, un, uh, working out in blessing under God's lordship. Shalom. And then he goes on to say in verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh, and it's not just the mind of what I'm thinking about, it's, it's the whole, uh, Uh, It's the whole direction of affections, desires, and attitudes of the whole person. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. In other words, uh, you're at enmity with God when you're dominated by the flesh. Don't fool yourself if you're saying uh, no to the promptings and warnings of the Holy Spirit and you can't live in a vacuum and the flesh is now dominating your life. Do not deceive yourself. You are living at enmity with God in that moment. The flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You can't please God in the flesh. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Very clear. So how can I tell, though, whether the Holy Spirit or the flesh is dominating my experience in the moment? Well, according to the Bible passage we had this morning, one sure barometer of who is dominating our existence is our behavior. If we're dominated by the flesh, then we will display certain behaviors. If we're dominated by the Spirit, our lives will produce observable fruit. 
this is the, oh, please, Lord, keep the deers, the rabbits, and the birds away from my tomato plants because they're right at the verge of going from green and edible rocks on the vine to luscious, delicious slices of tomato on a white bread tomato sandwich. And, um, and look, I know some of y'all put mayonnaise on it, but when, when you come to know the truth, you will use Miracle Whip. <laughs> Miracle Whip on a tomato sandwich. I know you, some, see, some of y'all don't know the truth. You don't know what's good. And that's when the church split. We had the big mayonnaise split. I'm not going to the church where the preacher puts Miracle Whip on a tomato sandwich. <laughs> We are right at the point where those tomatoes are going to turn red and be useful. But you know what? Every one of those things are visible. I can see that fruit. It's observable that that tomato plant has produced that fruit. And there is observable fruit in the life of the follower of Jesus who is under the principle of the Spirit, the guidance and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the same way... uh, Paul says that there are behaviors that are generated by the flesh. He calls those, quote-unquote, the works of the flesh. And he says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. And he, he groups those into four groups, and I'm not going to go through the list this morning. I am going to focus on a few, but I'm not going to go through the list, but I'll give you the categories. The first are sexual sins. And this is what we immediately think of when we think about the works of the flesh. But if you look at the list that God, uh, that God through Paul, uh, Paul gives us, uh, and by the way, it's not an exhaustive list, and Paul is clear that this is not everything that goes on this list. Uh, but if you look at that list, the sexual sins account for actually a, a very small number of what Paul calls the acts of the flesh or the acts of the sinful nature. So he says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Galatians 5 verse 19. And then he goes on to religious sins. And yes, there really is such a thing. So idolatry and sorcery or witchcraft. Uh, I, don't, I can't go into this very much, but you, you would say, now there's, there's, we don't have a problem with that in our day and age. Just this past week, I got a call from another priest in another town who has a situation with a 14-year-old boy who is being demonized and get, giving demonstration of being demonically oppressed And the way this started was he became fascinated as a seven-year-old child watching ghost hunters on the sci-fi network with his mama. And he became, he became fascinated with the occult. And now he, his will has been given over to spiritual darkness and they're having to deal with that in that family. So it is still an issue. But the, but the, the area, he also talks about sins of excess. He says drunkenness, orgies, orgies in this sense would be drinking parties. We would call it wild partying. All right. But what he really focuses on, what Paul bears down on are relational sins, relational sins. And this is where I want to do, I do want to focus here. Paul spends more time on relational sins than any of the other of the works of the flesh. These are the single best, please, this is, this is important to listen to. These are the single best indicator of whether or not we are under God's control. We might be saying, well, you know, I don't have any problem with witchcraft at all. It's not bothering me one bit. Or I'm not, I'm, you know, the sexual sins aren't bothering me a bit. But relational sins are where many of us 
work out the works of the flesh. So let's listen to what Paul says here. I'm going to be using, uh, uh, I'll be actually using more than NIV translation. He says, hatred. This is the person who is always hostile to others. Uh, and by the way, disagreement does not enter, does not equal hatred. I just, we need to clear that up in our culture. To disagree with someone does not mean you hate them. Uh, so I know that this is a, a very hard point for some people to understand, but really, seriously, disagreement doesn't mean hatred. It just means disagreement. But the person who is always hostile to others is dominated by hatred. It's a work of the flesh. Discord. This is the person, and we instead of thinking of that person, let's ask the question of myself. Am I the person who is always stirring up quarrels? Do I always have something bad or negative to say about someone? Do I engender strife? You know, it's like, why is there always drama going on around me? Maybe it's me. Maybe I am that person at work who is always stirring up something. There's somebody like that at work. You work with them, and they are always, they're always causing a quarrel or a fight. Maybe I'm that person. Jealousy. Am I preoccupied with desiring what another person has in the way of possessions or place or privilege or position? Listen, am I always concerned with how someone else may be receiving a benefit that I am not receiving? Am I concerned about that someone else is receiving a benefit that I am not receiving? Fits of rage, outbursts of anger, uncontrolled outbursts of anger, uncontrolled temper. Uh, am I the person who says, well, that's just my nature? No, that's your sinful nature. That's not the spirit. Don't indulge that. You have a choice if the spirit of God lives within you. And then selfish ambition. The person, am I the person who, do I just lust for power? Oh, I never lust for power. How about control? Do I need to be in control of every situation or domination? Do I need to dominate, be in control? Paul's writing to a church, maybe the context here to think about, am I that person in the church? Am I self-promoting? Do I get my feelings hurt if someone is asked to be in leadership or if someone else's hard work uh, gets noticed, and I'm not asked to be in leadership, and I don't get noticed. Ooh, you mean that's a work of the flesh? That's what Paul says, yes. Dissensions or factions, as it says in the ESV. It means this, always pulling away from others in the body of Christ. Am I the person, oh, please listen, Am I the person who always has a grievance about something? Some of us are not happy unless we're not happy. Are we grievance mongerers? Did you know that's not normal? It's not normal to always have a grievance. Did you know that most people go through life not feeling that way? You are unusual. Now, you're not unusual in being dominated by the flesh because we all have that potential. But if that's your state of being, that's the flesh at work. 
And finally, or I, I said factions earlier, dissension. Paul, then it does say factions. In the uh, King James, it says party spirit. I heard, when I'd read that in the King James Version, I would think, Woo, party spirit! Get my party on! No, it means like, you know, political party kind of party spirit. You know, factional type things. Not political parties are works of the flesh. They could be. But it means the drive to split the congregation into little cliques. Recruiting people to be on my side, take my side against another person or another group within the church. So we need to analyze our own lives and see what's going on. Am I exhibiting any of these things? Because this is what Paul says, the person whose life is characterized by any of these is not living if your life, this is the, the, the verb or the, or the descriptor you need to hear, the person whose life is characterized characterized by that. That's the quality of your life, of any of these things, is not in a, not living in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5.21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will kind of be second-class kingdom of God people? No. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's very clear. If our lives are characterized by these things, any of these things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That phrase, to those who live like this, refers to the person whose life is on a trajectory, a pattern of fleshly behavior, as opposed to the Christian who stumbles into carnality occasionally. And occasionally can mean every day. We stumble and fall every day. Yes, that happens. I think it was Charles Reed, an English novelist and dramatist who wrote, sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. And that's what Paul is saying here too. Now the alternative to a life life dominated by the flesh is a life dominated by the Holy Spirit. A life dominated by the Spirit demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. Love, Joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. I like that word, long-suffering, macrothumia, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there's no law. Okay, here's the deal. God has given us an enormous playground. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, cheerfulness, you know, all that stuff. And there's only a few things God says, don't do that. He wants us to enjoy the life He's given us in the power of the Spirit. So this week, my grandchildren were at my house, and there were only three rules. Don't break anything. Don't tear anything up. You say that's redundant. Well, you need to have some grandchildren run around. You know why. (laughs) Don't break anything. Don't tear anything up. And don't hurt the dog. Everything else is permitted. (laughs) And that's the way God is with us. Don't break anything. Don't tear anything up. Don't hurt the dog. Go enjoy life. Live in the freedom of the Spirit. So how do we get from domination of the flesh to living in the freedom of the Spirit? From flesh to Spirit. Well, a while back, it's been a long time ago now, I was talking to a young man in the Air Force who had been reprimanded officially because of his outburst of anger. Uh, he'd been sent to anger management classes. It's like sin management classes. 
But he was frustrated because after going to the class, he still was not able to control his anger. And as we talked, I, I told him that anger management classes are great for identifying the problem, increasing our self-awareness. They can tell us how we get angry. They can tell us why we get angry. But anger management classes have, have no power. They don't have an intrinsic power to correct the problem of anger. I showed him that from the scriptures that his outburst of anger are really a spiritual problem. He was being dominated by the sinful nature, dominated by the flesh in that area of life. And so he asked, really, it was a tone of desperation. And this is the question I should be asking this morning by myself. Then what can I do? How do I get out of this problem? How do I become led by the Spirit? Thanks, Ben, for telling me I need to be led by the Spirit. That's awesome. Great. Wonderful. How do I do that? How do I do that? Well, the answer, I think, is right here in the Scriptures. Duh! <laughs> I'm the Bible guy. I think everything's right there. You know, Unlike Homer Simpson, he's, I don't know if you've, there's 30 seasons of The Simpsons. Can you believe that? 30 seasons. One, one, one uh, time he was, at one point on television, they were sacrilegious, but it, they were the most church-going family on television. It was The Simpsons. And, uh, and Homer's dealing with some weird Homer Simpson problem in life, and he's flipping through the Bible in church. He says, don't, because <laughs> that's what he does. This book doesn't have any answers. Well, I think it does have the answers. I think we do have the answer right here, certainly in this passage about how to live under the power of the Spirit. The first thing is, listen, nail, you've got to nail. Get a great big old hammer, metaphorically, and nail those anti-God passions to the cross of Jesus Christ. Stop keeping your sinful nature on life support. Pull the plug. Crucify it. Let God put it to death. Paul says it like this, Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Stop taking your flesh off the cross. Because that's what we do. Well, I want to indulge it a little bit right now. So I'm going to pull it down off the cross and I'm going to resuscitate my flesh a little bit. And God's been at work sanctifying you. Leave it on the cross. Crucify your flesh. And then offer yourself, So, we, and I would pray, God, I offer you my flesh, nail it to the cross of Christ, my attitudes, passions, desires, and actions that are contrary to the love of God and to your will as expressed in Scripture. Take that now, whatever I'm struggling with right this minute, take my grievance-mongering God and nail it to the tree. I release it and relinquish it. I have no more, no more claim over that grievance. I have no more claim over my sense of being, uh, being overlooked. If you're over, if you're looking over me, it doesn't matter if I'm overlooked. God, nail it to the tree. I, I put it on the altar. Let it die. And then, Offer yourself in moment-by-moment obedience to God. Again, back to Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, okay, all of us are living by the Spirit who have been born again by water and the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. The sense there is, is just that. It's like a little kid stepping in her mother's footsteps, you know, trying to take those big steps 
or a little boy stepping in his father's footsteps. It is vital here that we learn the Scriptures because in them is revealed the clarity of God's will. And then as we know God's Word, we need to heed and obey the inner promptings and warning of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, He offers these to you. It's the convicting and uh, the convicting and guiding power of the Spirit. Heeding the Holy Spirit means listening to that wee small voice of the Spirit as He address, addresses us in our inner being. And the more we heed Him, the more able we become to hear Him. Obeying means acting on those warnings and promptings. The Spirit of God will never urge us to do anything contrary to the Scriptures. So if a prompting you receive is contrary to the Word of God, it's not the Holy Spirit leading you to do that. And then finally, so it's nail those anti-God passions, desires, appetites, and actions to the cross. Begin to offer yourself in moment-by-moment obedience to Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And then ask God to fill you with the Spirit. We are all, by virtue of our baptism into Jesus Christ, by water and the Spirit, we are all, by our conversion, we're all indwelt, but we are not all filled. There is a difference between having like a little, a little bit of a delicious Hefeweizen on the bottom of a glass on a hot summer day. It's a good German beer, weak beer. And having the glass, and that's, that's okay. But I'll tell you what, there's a qualitative difference between having that and a full glass of Hefeweizen. It's like, oh, this is different. I love this. Or your chosen beverage of choice, coffee. You can have a little bit of coffee in the morning in the bottom of a cup, and that's just discouraging. (laughs) (laughs) But you can have a full cup of coffee, and you can face the day. You You need to be filled with the Spirit, not just have a drab, to be filled with the Spirit. How can I get filled? I want to do that. This is so easy. Just ask God. You know what? He promises to fill us if we ask to be filled. Jesus says, Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. So I say to you, not ask and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask for him! So who is controlling my life right now? To an impartial observer, does my life indicate that I am obviously living according to the flesh, as my deeds show, or am I living by the Spirit, producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? If we're being dominated by the sinful nature, Christian, then we need to confess that as sin to God. And then this morning, come to receive the real presence of Christ in the sacrament. And as you come with open hearts and open hands and, yes, open mouths to receive, say, Lord, as I receive your precious body and blood, even now, fill me with your spirit as you have promised to do. And by your spirit, I will walk in the spirit and not 
not indulge the desires of the flesh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christ Church, visit us at ChristChurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 